Turn next in the scriptures to Exodus chapter 19. Uh, we'll read a few verses from uh, Exodus chapter 19 and the Ten Commandments as they're found uh, in chapter 20. Start at verse 1. This is Exodus 19. We're actually told that this is three months to the day that they left Egypt. On the third new moon, after the people of Israel had gone out of the land of Egypt, on that day they came to the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from Rephidim, came to the wilderness of Sinai, and they camped in the wilderness. There Israel encamped before the mountain, while Moses went up to God. The Lord called to him from the mountain, saying, Thus you shall say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, and how I bore you, carried you on eagles' wings, and brought you to myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a treasured possession among all peoples. For all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. Drop down to chapter 20, verse 1. And, and these words are supposed to be familiar to us, right? Before one command is given, imperative, uh, there is the critical indicative. Uh, what did God do for us? Well, God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Therefore, read the commandments as it's now. Therefore, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. On it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your livestock, nor your sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. The Lord Jesus was asked, which commandment is the greatest, most important? And he replied, actually quoting Deuteronomy 
chapter 5, and as we saw last week, uh, Leviticus chapter 19, when he said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first and the great commandment. The second is like it, that you should love your neighbor as you love yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 9. Uh, we are beginning our chapter, our study of chapter 9, but we are going to study verses 7 through 9 today, and then next week as we will be celebrating the Lord's Supper, uh, the, the verses of the first six verses seem to tie in with uh, with that celebration of the spiritual supper of the Lamb that Jesus talks about both in Luke and Matthew. Um, and so I thought we would just study these out of order. So let's go ahead and read the first nine verses. And then we'll look at verses 7 through 9. Hear the word of God. Wisdom has built her house. She has hewn her seven pillars. She has slaughtered her beasts. She has mixed her wine. She has also set her table. She has sent out her young women to call from the highest places in the town. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. To him who lacks sense, she says, Come, eat my bread and drink of the wine I have mixed. Leave your simple ways and live and walk in the sight, the way of insight. Whoever corrects the stopper gets himself abused. He who reproves a wicked man incurs injury. Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. Beloved congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, this morning uh, we continue our study of the book of Proverbs. Uh, just backing up a bit, when I began the series, I was, I was going to preach on the first two or maybe three chapters. Then I extended it to the first six chapters and then to the first eight. And so I think this is, this is where the destination chapter is going to be. And if you are familiar with the book of Proverbs, you'll know that the first nine chapters... Uh, are substantively different than the remaining uh, chapters. Uh, uh, the, the first nine chapters are logically related, making consistent points and advancing arguments, if you will. Uh, when you come to chapter 10 and following, uh, the, the, the Proverbs become more incidental. Uh, I've, I've seen people go through and, and highlight all the different uh, chapters of Proverbs that deal with economics, or with speech, or with children, or, and all of those things. And there is great correlation. And there's, uh, the, these teachings are, are, are found throughout the whole book, but they're not in a sequential 
Matter. They are principles that we are to learn. In fact, I would heartily recommend if you're going to have daily devotions, you're not sure what to read, just pick whatever chapter of Proverbs corresponds to the day of the month. Um, maybe that's a cop out. I, I, I used to think my um, my dad's method of doing table devotions was a little bit that way. He, he would go like this, and then on whatever page it would land, that's what he would read. And yeah, that's okay. But I believe we're to be more intentional. We are to understand what what are the scriptures and what is the message that they bring. And, and the message of the scriptures isn't helter skelter, a little bit here, a little bit there. Uh, it's a story. It, it's telling what happened and how God and His people uh, interacted during those times and so on. And, and so I'm, I'm much more advocating that we read the Bible's beginning to end. Uh, or at least read the New Testament from Matthew to Revelation and, and, and the parts of the Old Testament that, that tell the, the story of the history of redemption. Uh, at any rate, I'll bring the word to you this morning under this theme. Wisdom prepares God's people for the opposition and trials they will face in the world and with each other. The passage that we're looking at discusses uh, uh, what unbelieving people are like. In the passage, they're called scoffers and wicked men. Well, we'll consider the counsel and direction that wisdom gives, and then notice the grand contrast between such ones and those who are being molded by the Word and, and Spirit of God. And so the the words that we're reading here uh, originating most likely with Solomon, so that is after the Exodus, and after Joshua, after Judges, that's, you know, uh, before, or it's rather the course of the monarchy, or the beginning of the monarchy. And of course, what, what, what I think is important for us to see uh, is that wisdom is giving this counsel to help us. Uh, it's to be a benefit. You know, we, we sometimes talk, you know, we, we see street preachers and they confront people and preaching and teaching uh, on, on the sidewalk. I'm not saying that's bad, but I, I, I think that's relevant to the discussion of what we read uh, in a passage like this. And, and what, what the passage that here is, it's speaking about those who are scoffers, those who aren't listening. And, 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 and who knows, maybe the Lord does and will use uh, such situations uh, to, to convince somebody. But as a rule of thumb, uh, we're, we're going to learn something about interacting with unbelievers, and especially those that are uh, are described here as scoffers and, and wicked people. Uh, let's go to read verse 10. No, verse 7. He who corrects the scoffer gets shame for himself. And he who rebukes a wicked man only harms himself. Who is it that might be corrected? Who is this that uh, that might be uh, rebuked? Well, the person is called a scoffer. Uh, the words that are can be translated from here are these. One who talks proudly. One who mocks. One who is boastful, one who derides. And, and a wicked man is even worse. 
Uh, it, it actually is a convicted criminal. Uh, one who is guilty, corrupt, and depraved. It seems that the designation, the designation is regarding those who are obviously disconnected from the household of faith. Uh, it is clearly those who are living contrary to God's revealed will. Uh, in other words, they have no interest uh, in the instruction and the direction that wisdom might give. Well, how might they be corrected? Well, uh, we're told, uh, we're not really told about the, the how or the why at this point, but we are told who are, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself, and he who rebukes a wicked man uh, only harms himself. Uh, this is a place where discretion, I think, is clearly uh, at, at the call. Uh, when, is the best to, when is the best to talk to someone about their sin? You know, I know catechism talks about that. We are to do all that is within us uh, to stop people from taking God's name, from blaspheming His name. Well, what, when it, and how are the best place and time to do that? that, that that's a, a relevant question. And so, my conviction is that you would not do this in front of their peers. You know, you wouldn't do it in, in, in an open setting, uh, or, or even without the grounding of a relationship where you can express a, a genuine concern for them. Um, I have a story of, of, of my part of what God used to bring me to faith. Uh, I was a freshman in college at what is now Dort University, and for the most part, I was a follow-up person. And uh, it would be not unusual for me to take the Lord's name in faith. And one of the things that God used in my coming to see how wrong that was, uh, was a, a friend of mine named Dowling. He, he lived across the hall and just befriended me. And he said, one time, you know, Randy, there's something I'd like to talk to you about. Um, when, when you take God's name in faith, I, you know, I'm quite offended. And I mean, he, he did it in, in a kind and, and humble manner. And uh, I, I felt, yeah, I felt guilty. I felt bad. And, and that was part, I think, of uh, how God show, was showing me that here, it's pretty clear. Should you take God's name in vain? How do we know that? Well, the third commandment, right? You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Well, here I was doing that without thought, without hesitation. And, and of course, it, I, I think that, that what, one thing that that means, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Um, well, it's pretty much showing your spiritual condition. What is it to be held guiltless? Well, it's to be forgiven. And, and to not be held guiltless is to be held accountable. Right, like we saw, what about those who don't repent and turn from their selfish, sinful way of life? Will, will they be said, no, they will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And so, how, how, what role do we have in that process? Uh, we have reproof, we have correction here, Two of the same words that enter into the, uh, what, what is the Bible 
Uh, useful for, right? All scripture is given by inspiration of God and profitable for what? For doctrine is the first one, then what? For reproof and for correction. So I, I think if there's a, a point to be made here, it's that um, the only way that the heart of a scoffer or the mind of a wicked man is going to be changed is if, is if God does it. And the way that God will do that is through His Word. There are passages that touch pretty close to this in Proverbs. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be like him. And then the next verse says, Answer a fool according to his folly, lest you be wise in his own eyes. So I think what we see is that there, there needs to be a, a thoughtful process. Um, you know, I, I've heard it said that no one has ever learned anything by hearing someone yell at them. Nothing is not a, a point for raising your voice at a certain time. But if you want to communicate with somebody with, that they're doing something they ought not, dialing back your the sound, but the the, the amperage, what's that word? The volume, there we go. Uh, dial that down top. There's a proverb that says in, uh, in chapter 25, words aptly or fitly spoken are like apples of gold in settings of silver. Now there's a time and place to communicate, to tell uh, what you might teach. Um, the result of this correction, these rebukes, well, it says they get they get shame for themselves and they get harm. And, and of course, the scoffer and the wicked man are just acting according to their heart, to their mind. And so what's on the inside, we ought not to be surprised if it comes to the outside. In fact, that's what Jesus says in Mark chapter 7, doesn't he? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you see, you know, people being bad or saying bad things, that's a reflection of their heart. If you see people doing things they ought not, what, what are you seeing? That's giving you a glimpse of what's inside. And, and, and that's why in our, in our Christian confession, you know, we say if, if, if ever we turn away from the doctrines or the actions of, of the Christian faith, we promise to submit to the discipline of the church. Because our actions and our words are showing something that ought not to be. Our second point, the contrast between the scoffer and the wise. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. So it's kind of like we have a, a, a negative admonition. Do not correct a scoffer. Uh, is this a, an outright command that applies in every situation? I would say no. I would say is it is put to the to the function and the use of a of a contrast, right? So we read the whole verse together. Do not correct the scoffer lest he hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. 
Uh, in other words, this is what often is going to happen when you review a software. It will, it will go from bad to worse. And of course, the, 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 the words that you say will have this almost inevitable effect. Uh, in fact, the verse before it, he who corrects a scoffer gets shame for himself. He who rebukes a, a wicked man only harms himself. Do not correct a scoffer lest he hate you. In other words, the scoffer is going to respond in a defensive manner, right? He's going to take offense at what you say. He will despise you or hate you. And of course, the contrast that, that we're really looking at in verse 8, uh, saying almost the same words to a righteous man, to a wise man, and what's he going to do? He's going to thank you for it. Fundamental point here, I think, is teachability. We learn something about the character and the demeanor of the one who is being confronted, and their hearts are revealed by how they respond. Now, there's going to be some subtle instruction here. What if I'm the person being confronted, or if my sins are being pointed out? How am I going to respond? Am I going to get mad? Am I going to go off in a huff? Well, who are you to correct me? Everybody does it. If that's your response to being, you having your sins pointed out, you are revealing more than you would like to reveal. Um, because what ought to happen is someone shows you your sins, your response should be, yeah, it's been, it's been convicting my heart too. In fact, there's a quotation by C.H. Spurgeon that it's impossible to slander human nature. Because we are far worse than anybody else. You know, and if you think you're pretty good, you know, maybe there's some people who are perfectionists and try to do everything right so that they can have this title, uh, I'm, I'm okay, I'm good, then you're, you're really missing the heart of the, the matter. Uh, there's not a one of us that deserves grace. There's not one of us that deserves to go to heaven. In fact, not in the entire world is there anyone who deserves to go to heaven. Save the Lord Jesus Christ. Why is that? Well, because we are sinners. We all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's indisputable. Uh, in fact, one of the um, uh, in, in Romans chapter three, that really becomes the basis uh, for the gospel. Uh, sin has come into the world that all might be condemned. For by the law comes the knowledge of sin. So, what, what does the law require of you? Well, we can make lots of little summary statements, but as we read this morning, or heard this morning, the principal point is to. You need to love the Lord your God. How? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Anybody do that? Nobody does that. 
Nobody does that. That's a great place to start in our prayers. You know, we're going to confess our sins. I mean, we're going to say, oh, forgive me my sins if I have any. That's not really asking for forgiveness. Because right? you have them. You own them. We're all pretty good at, at covering them and putting, putting off this, this aura that we are more holy and pious than we really are. So what is it? You're going to start? Way to go. God's not impressed. Uh, in fact, we're told in the scriptures that uh, with a broken and a contrite heart, the Lord will not despise. Humility uh, is, is really a Christian hallmark of, uh, that should define our character. The concern that we have, why, why would... Why would we love the one who corrects us? You know, my, my, my friend Yahweh. You know, could God use other ways? And did God use other people? Sure. But he was one of those links in the chain. One of those persons that he brought into my life uh, to teach me and direct me in the way that I should go. And of course, the book of Proverbs has a fair enough to say about fools and foolish people. Uh, it comes over in the book of Psalms, Psalm 14 and Psalm 53. The fool says in his heart, What? There is no God. The fool fundamentally rejects the Christian worldview that there is a God, that God made all things. And, and, and if you don't believe there's a God who made all things, then you don't believe in a God that's going to hold you accountable. So you don't really believe. That there's any judgment or any condemnation that awaits anyone. So here we go. The wise man will be grateful to learn and to understand that which is right and well pleasing in God's sake. The last verse here, verse 9, give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a, a just man and he will increase in learning. Who, who is this wise man? This person with understanding, right? Uh, we, would, we would say, I think it's safe to say, that someone who's been born again, who's indwelt by the Spirit of God. He is one who doesn't think higher of himself than he ought to think. And so he's aware of his weaknesses, his faults. In fact, I have a little, little sheep. I, I often give it away, so I don't know whether I'll find it today or not. But it's the the, the seven uh, the, the six petitions of the Lord's Prayer. And it's a listing of the sins that we are so easily guilty of. And the one is that we are so easily we make excuses. Um, instead of doing what we are, we, we do what we want. And, and one of those is we... Um, that, that applies to me as a pastor. So often, uh, we are pleased when there is applause. And we miss it when it's not. But that's, that's, a, that's a base design. Do I want your approval? What a level I do, but the, the higher revival, well, the, the more important point that is to be conveyed is that I, I have taught you the, the scriptures. Whether you like it or not isn't the point. And of course, the... Uh, uh, that's really the point of, of this last verse, isn't it? 
give instruction to a wise man, and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man, and he will increase uh, in learning. And so it is that um, yeah, n- another example. A few years ago, I was playing cards. Actually, I might as well play poker, but I'm not sure if I said that. And uh, so I went, and we're around the table on somebody's back patio. And in the course of the conversation, a, a friend of mine that I had met before, um, he says, you don't think I'm a good person? I said, no, I don't think anybody's a good person. And then his friend who had some youth pastor, I think it was from, from Lincoln here, he says, oh, he's a Calvinist. He doesn't think anybody's good. And that's true. With, with, with one voice, we, we all stand condemned by the law of God. And the only hope for us, the only hope for all men, is this intervention from above. And, and that's why we call the gospel grace. The teaching of a just man. Pretty much the same thing. What's the goal of a just man? What's the goal of a just man? I would say this to be just. To be faithful and true. To live an honorable and godly life before the Lord. What might stand in the way of doing that? Well, uh, a helpful grid that we use, the Catechism says, since our sworn enemies, the devil, the world, and our own flesh, cease not to attack us, we need to wait and rely and depend upon God's grace. So if someone shows the just man a fault, an area or an aspect of his life where he was being unfaithful, is he going to be mad? Remember, what's his goal? To be a just man, to be faithful and true. Now if someone shows him a sin, and the heart is deceitful above all things, right? So could, could we be self-deceived? Could, could we think we're something when we're nothing? Absolutely. So if someone shows the just man his sin, he, he will be grateful because it will help him in his overall goal of serving God more faithfully. But who's not going to like Who's not going to be like having their sins shown to them? Well, the person who's putting on a show. The person who's pretending to be something that he's not. We need to see all of life as being lived before the face of God. Godly instructions are opportunities for spiritual growth. Give instruction to a wise man and he will be wiser still. Teach a just man and he will increase in learning. So what are our takeaways here? I think the first one is this. As much as possible, we need to strive to have teachable spirits. None of us have arrived at spiritual maturity. None of us have attained spiritual perfection. We all, and I quoted this earlier from 2 Peter chapter 3, we all need to continue growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Secondly, I... I think we need to think in terms of the book of Proverbs. And if, and if you read the book of Proverbs, just look for, look for Proverbs like this, right? As iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. 
How will you respond to someone who corrects you or, or points out a blind spot? You know, I think of husbands and wives. Julie often sees things in me that I don't see without her help. And, and maybe, maybe you uh, find that the same situation. And, and of course, how do you respond to that? Get mad and say, oh, I'm not going to talk to you. That's not going to happen. Uh, but to own it, uh, to repent of it, you know, I'm, I'm sorry that I wrote it. Uh, I, I, I know that what I did wasn't wrong. So the Proverbs says, Faithful are the word, wounds of a friend. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Why? Because they're intended for our good. You know, when, when someone shows out, uh, shows you up, Maybe a, a tendency or something that you've done a number of times. Well, it's not. Is that bad? No, that's good. Because it helps you to grow. It helps you to live a, a life of, of greater faithfulness and devotion to God. The second half of that proverb is, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Why? The kisses of the enemy. It's just posturing, right? Uh, it's, it's like blowing smoke and saying, hey, woo, you're great. They want, to they, they want to have an influence. They want to have an audience. And of course, the, um, the, it, it doesn't help. The kisses of an enemy are deceiving. Number three, in your relationships and your friendships, and I was thinking about this this morning on the way down here. Value those friends. Think about that. Value those friends who will tell you the truth and correct you when you're wrong. Do you have friends like that? Will show you your sin and say, hey, you about that. If you have a friend like that, build that relationship. Don't diminish it. The corollary that is be that kind of friend. Yeah. If you're going to value the person and your wives and, and so on, the same thing. You, you have friends and conversations. You know, if someone says, hey, you, you know, I've talked about that with, with, with gossiping, right? You're in the room with gossipers. Guess who they're talking about when you're not there? I mean, duh, they're talking about you. You know, be, be smart. Think about the consequence of, of what you're doing. And, and if you have someone, and, and, and you need to be that person who gives encouragement, who, who, who is a friend, is it dangerous to... Confront somebody in their sin? It is. But you know what? That's what you need to do. That's what you need to be. Or there'll just be this stagnation in, in your friendship and relationship. And of course, what we need... Uh, that's sort of the last point. Uh, I, I have... Think about the New Testament admonitions about being persecuted. What does Jesus say about being persecuted and attacked? He says, Blessed are you with men persecute you and speak all manner of evil against you falsely. How does that work? Well, 
when you are facing confrontation and the opposition of others, you are at a point where you need to deal uh, with your heart and respond to it in a way that is edifying uh, to others. And so I think these verses in Proverbs chapter 9 really result in, in, in some of that teaching in the New Testament where we are told and instructed to be wise and mindful of, of how all of these things work together. Let's pray. Gracious God, we rejoice before you as we know that you are forever faithful and true. You will be exalted in the earth and all men will give their glory to your great name. We pray your blessing upon uh, this congregation, the individuals, the older, younger, in between. Lord, might we have humble and teachable hearts. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.